Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, this is Tuesday at noontime, and you are at the future of higher education, professional development, right here in your earbuds once a week on the Fireside app. I am thrilled to be here with our October think tank. And uh, before we get started, I want to just remind everybody that we are here every week on the Fireside app. Please make sure that you subscribe. We also replay the show on Apple Podcasts on iHeartMedia podcast and on Spotify podcast. So thank you all for being here. We have a, a special guest today uh, who has never been on the show. So uh, we're going to invite Rich up to the microphone to introduce himself. And uh, so Rich, introduce yourself. Rich DiCapua from Tufts University. Say hi, Rich. And uh, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself to folks. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm Rich DiCapua. I am the uh, Senior Associate Dean and Deputy Chief Student Affairs Officer at Tufts University. I have been there for about a year now, but most of my career has been teaching finance in higher ed. So I've held uh, previous positions at Boston College, at Brandeis, at Wesleyan. Uh, Laura and I go back uh, a long way. Uh, we probably both have photos on our camera roll that would be incriminating to, to both yes. parties. And so I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> and we will not be showing those today. All right. And we also have a returner, Dr. Corey Davis. Uh, Corey, why don't you say hi to everybody one more time and, uh, and reintroduce I've yourself. For sure. Hi, folks. Great to be here. Thank you, Rich, for joining us. Uh, and I'm sure that you'll love it so much you'll want to come back. Uh, my name is Corey Davis. I am um, the Director of Community Standards and work in Taiwan at Champlain College in lovely Burlington, Vermont. So happy to be back with everyone to kick off October. Thank you. And Corey, put your damn mic camera on, please. Uh, and so we I was trying to eat lunch. I was going to like eat oh, a little eat sandwich. Okay, and... then eat lunch, turn off the thing. Corey is sporting this new mustache. That's why I was very excited about getting him on the table. I knew that was going to be the case. <laughs> I am so excited. We'll see how long it lasts. Let's talk about it. All right. So we uh, today, the Think Tank, every month we do our Think Tank episode. We're going to talk about uh, issues in the news right now in higher ed uh, and really kind of do more short bursts in terms of what's happening. I want to remind folks, if you are here in the show, uh, you have the react button at the bottom of your screen. You can always clap. You can always laugh. You can always make poop emoji sounds, whatever you want to do. It's really up to you. Um, but please feel free to do that. Also, feel free to uh, ask questions. So you're allowed to come on up and we want you to ask follow-up questions if somebody has a, has a point that you want to uh, follow up on. Um, and then lastly, if you are listening to this live uh, and you are here in the Fireside app, one of the wonderful qualities of the app is you can go down to the lower left-hand corner of the app into the menu. You can click on that and you can click on broadcast to the world. That takes you to an opportunity for you to share that with uh, your various social media platforms. And you can put out there that you're listening and invite people to be part of it. Uh, so I want to talk, I want to start today uh, with uh, something that is happening down in Florida is the uh, outcomes of Hurricane Ian. We have several colleges and universities that are still not back in, back in classes. Um, we are working on getting a show uh, to talk specifically about uh, about crisis management, managing things around uh, issues like hurricanes and other weather-related emergencies. Uh, one of the things that we can see right now is that there are some campuses down there that still are not in session. Um, it may take some time. Um, I know from my own experience teaching crisis management and uh, actually managing crises, one of the things that's really key in this whole thing is communication. Uh, 
as I've been analyzing the communication strategy, one of the things that's really uh, a difficult aspect is that students don't all have power, um, especially if they're living in off-campus residences um, and they don't have space and they are not able to make that happen. So a lot of the, the crisis management is happening through social media. Uh, they're happening through websites. They're happening through alert systems. Um, but it's always difficult. And I think that as I reflect on some of the most difficult, uh, I think back to Hurricane Sandy. I was on a campus that didn't have any uh, power for five days. Um, and how that actually affected us. We were we were actually cooking on um, uh, barbecues for three meals out of the day so students could eat. Um, one of the hardest things about managing a crisis is how people feel, right? And how uh, families are trying to get in touch with their, with their students. Rich and Corey, I know you've had a long, rich history in higher ed. Anything that you've learned from, uh, you know, I, I want to really focus on weather emergencies because weather emergencies is, is, it's all in, right? And so when you're really thinking about this, one, one of a, a good friend of mine who's the vice president at University of Miami, Pat Whiteley, talks about how she literally moves her whole family to campus and they're in a bunker um, and they have an opportunity to do that. But, you know, we in the higher ed landscape, when there's an emergency going on on campus, many of us have to leave our families behind and go take care of things on campus um, and make sure that everybody's getting what they need. Your thoughts on what people might be dealing with right now? What are some of the things that you look at when you know a campus is running things well? I'm going to start with Rich and then I'm going to bump it over to Corey. Well, you know, I, I think what comes up for me the the most, which is a similar situation, but not, you know, directly similar, was the Boston Marathon bombings. And, you know, I was working at Suffolk University uh, right uh, right down the street uh, for where the, the bombings went off. And it was five days. It was five days staying on campus. It was five days of setting up uh, the ability for students to meet with counselors and to, you know, figure out how to get good information and how they felt heard. This was also 2013. So we didn't have phones. We had phones. We did have phones in the way that we have them now, where, you know, there's massive text alerts that are going out that, you know, we, we know very instantaneously the information to give to, to, to families. Um, and so that was like a, 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 a first case of like training campus security in terms of like you're you're the line that people are going to be calling to. How are you giving them information? How do people feel, how do how do people feel safe? Um, I will also say on on a personal note, it's hard to talk about anything uh, with Florida higher education because uh, it's wonky yeah. to begin with. So just messaging around, you know, uh, you know, maybe there was messaging going out there. You know, are are hurricanes even real? That yeah. might have been a thing, right? And, and I don't mean to make fun of the situation, but I don't, I, I have no faith uh, in, in in leadership in higher education in Florida to do anything right when the weather is nice. Yeah, no, and it's uh, it, you. Gina Master Casa is a, a regular on the think tank, and uh, she's at the University of Florida. And, um, you know, she, we always just kind of have a Florida story in there for her because it's Florida being Florida. Every damn month, there's something else to just go, what, what's happening here? Um, and, you know, your point about has our technology changes, as training changes, as expectations change, that, you know, your crisis management response needs to move with the times. Uh, last spring, I had the great and good fortune to interview uh, one of the administrators from the University of Kharkiv in um, Ukraine and learned a lot about her preparedness for uh, for a crisis. But they were literally running the campus out of a hotel room. And those are things that can actually happen now because of technology and how we actually set things up. Uh, Corey, your thoughts on this? You know, it, it makes me think of when I was a student and I went to a, um, a Hockey East school here in New England, people would talk about, you know, when there's bad weather, you know, RIT and like schools in Wisconsin, they had underground tunnels, they had covered walkways. And there was a certain kind of uh, leaning into that that harsh bitterness. We'd stand in line for hockey tickets or base or baseball tickets or all those different things. Um, and there wasn't necessarily there, there was a certain level of acceptance that, you know, there was cold weather. But I think what's what's really stuck out to me the past five years, there's so many conversations that institutions are being aware of, even even here in Burlington, 
who do we like who are our students or our faculty or staff from Florida? How might they be impacted? And it's not just a residential urban part of Burlington anymore. Um, and really to see how interconnected um, that response and that support can be. Um, right. My first year working, I worked at a school in Southern Connecticut that was the epicenter of the most snowfall that winter. And in, like, you know, the campus couldn't just de-densify and couldn't say everyone go home because right. the area both in the state and the Tri-City area was just in bad shape as the campus was. And seeing a lot of communications coming out and trying to make the best judgment call of, is it better to try to host and support people here? Is it better to try to delay and get people to leave campus with a few days notice? Um, and, and to really you know lean into different state legislatures and different states have different perspectives, just like Rich was talking about, on you know the belief of weather really impacting so much more than just getting a college education. Right. And the uh, two things you brought up that I think are, are key for people to realize is that during a crisis like this, and if you know, look, weather emergencies actually are things you can plan for and you see it coming. It doesn't just come out of the sky and you had no idea it was coming, uh, like the marathon bombing, for instance. In the case of, a, of, I often hear people say, well, why didn't they just send these students home? Well, guess what? Some of these students may not have a home. Some of these students may not be able to afford a way to get home. There may not be a way, a, a clear path out. So that's something that's not always able to do. Um, and Corey's point about the idea of being able to make sure you know your students. So Corey's up in Vermont. We got Rich out here in Massachusetts. You've got people all over the country who have have uh, students who are from a space where where a um, a weather related emergency or an emergency like this may have happened. And good practice in crisis management isn't just about what happens when it hits your with hits your home space. It's actually what you do for your students when they may have their own family, their own situation is uh, under uh, duress back home. And what you do to, you know, pull up your, your zip codes, do a search, find students from these impacted areas and make sure that you've come to, you've reached out to them and make sure that they're all in good shape and what do they need and, and do they need some emotional support, even though they may not be there at the time of the, of the emergency. So, uh, important to keep that in mind. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk very, very quickly. I just want to make a, a quick announcement. I got the pleasure yesterday to sit in on a uh, at, on an event with uh, the folks from uh, the White House. Uh, we got to talk about the, uh, the student loan forgiveness program. Um, so I was in a briefing with about two dozen folks yesterday, which was great. Um, and uh, so hoping to get more information from folks that I was able to be with yesterday. I think we lost Rich, but we'll see what we're, what's going on with him. Uh, and so I want to move to our next story uh, before, uh, as we're working on Rich getting back into the room. Uh, so I want to talk about those news out of Yeshiva University down in New York City. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, there's been a few uh, stories going on here. We've got the LGBT student group uh, at Yeshiva was, uh, this is from the Chronicle of Higher Ed. Uh, they were embroiled in a legal battle with Yeshiva uh, that, and Yeshiva said it would temporarily step back from seeking official, uh, sorry, the group said it would temporarily step back from seeking official recognition after the campus suspended all other undergraduate club activity. Uh, the drastic step came in response to a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court ordering the modern Orthodox Jewish University to recognize the group while the university appeals the recent Supreme Court of New York State ruling against it. So basically what happened is the Yeshiva LGBT group, excuse me, uh, found their way out there. They uh, sued the university because they weren't being recognized. Uh, went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the state of New York, and uh, they said, no, you've got to recognize these folks. They pushed it back down at the institution, and the institution doubled down and said, well, if we have to recognize the LGBTQ group, we're not going to recognize any groups. The LGBT group then came in and said, whoa, 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 hold up a second. 
we don't want the rest of this community to be impacted in this way. And so they then said, we are going to kind of take a step back so that these other groups can be recognized as we're trying to work our way through this. Uh, Corey, when you saw this story, um, and you know we have to be kind of working our way through any campus, and Yeshiva is a religiously affiliated campus, so this is where it gets a little more complicated, is that when we have uh, religiously affiliated campuses and we can't, uh, they can't come to recognize certain groups. Uh, we hear a lot of this with Christian universities. We hear a lot of this with Baptist universities, even uh, with our, our uh, with with other institutions. This is the first time this has come down with a Jewish university, but it's some of the same uh, issues that were that other institutions have dealt with and the recognition. Um, and this isn't the only thing these schools deal with, right? It's things about um, you know, especially some of the Christian schools where we're not going to provide certain types of staff and faculty benefits. Uh, we're not going to do uh, certain uh, birth control, things of that nature. So, Corey, when you saw this, what were some of the things that were going through your head as far as how the institution responded? And then how did the student group respond that kind of heightened the, the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just as we've seen politics in the U.S. and, you know, lines of education as a benefit um, and, and a right in certain areas and your know, religion and practicing of religion or religious values very much in political conversation. I think that's definitely what we're seeing on a much, much smaller scale out of yeshiva and out, and out of the student group. Um, earnestly, I was quite surprised to see the university kind of take this this carte blanche step to suspend and Laura, you hit the nail on the head, really doubling down and saying like, you know, nope, for this particular group, we are going to, you know, take off all of these opportunities for all student groups. Um, it makes me think of we, you know, last year we talked a little bit about um, responses to fraternity and sorority concerns around the country of institutions entirely kind of putting their, their FSL programs on suspension or on hiatus. Um, because maybe, you know, it doesn't seem as though organizations are, are adept at dealing with very, you know, specific issues. Uh, I'm surprised that Yeshiva took this, took the step, quite frankly. Um, you know, and, and for the student group, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they're upset. Uh, I'm sure they're both upset for, you know, their individual impact, not being able to have their group. I'm sure they're also upset. I'm sure there's a feeling of, you know, they might feel somewhat responsible for the university's action for all of their peers. Yeah. Um, you know, and I imagine for all the students at Yeshiva and all the prospective students, they're trying to make a, a judgment call of if Yeshiva, and I'm sure that they say they're an opening and welcoming, they're an open and welcoming place, I'm sure there are students questioning that, right. um, both currently, you know, as current enrolled paying students and for admitted students, you know, or people who might want to go to Yeshiva to say, well, you know, how does this align or contrast with how I'm feeling, mm -hmm. you know, and, and getting their education? Um, you know, and, and on the flip side of that coin, I'm also, I would guess that there are students who might be attracted to that kind of community, who I have maybe a strong Jewish faith, Jewish faith, or I really want to engage and enroll in this particular program, and their own values might not align with supporting an LGBTQI plus student group. So I'm sure that there might be community members out there who think this is the right choice to do. Um, you know, and, and I, I do think your Laura, your point is really well founded. We've seen a lot of um, Catholic institutions kind of go through similar conversations. We've seen a lot of Baptist organizations go through a lot of these conversations, um, and I, I, I think it's incredibly unfortunate that it got to this point. Um, and I don't I don't know what the solution is. I would like to think that our campuses can always be places that are open and welcoming and be places of faith. Um, but you know, I, what really, and I was reading through the article and really, what really kind of the linchpin for me was, is the university an educational institution or a religious org and right. the Supreme court of New York hung its hat on, you say you are an educational institution, therefore you have to have these groups. Right. And you know, that's, that's a really hard reckoning. I would imagine at the board of trustees and the president's cabinet and, you know, I'm sure faculty and staff are having those conversations down in the city as well. Right. 
the uh, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that when I saw the the news first and foremost, I thought first of all about the mission. You know, I always go back to the mission of the institution. What's it all about? And the mission of yeshiva is this: at Yeshiva University, our mission, Torah Umara, is to bring wisdom to life through all that we teach, by all that we do, and for all who we serve. Our students learn and go forth as both educated and ethical people to share their own special talents and wisdom with society. That, that is one of those things where I say, okay, then you don't know your mission. If what you're trying to do is actually create space where you are bringing people out into the world who are uh, better, uh, you know, better, better uh, civic and engaged humans who go out there to give good life in the world and to give good, good vibes in the world, right? And you're saying, nah, but we don't like you. And and we don't want this group for whatever reason. Um, I think of all the things that happened in this, that was actually quite interesting to me was how the student group responded, how they kind of actually were more living the mission than the institution was to say, okay, I don't want my fellow students to have to not get the full value of their of their enrollment, of their experience, et cetera, right? And uh, so it's really a tough situation for those students to be in. And uh, it's quite uh, it's quite difficult because now we also don't know. And, and I wasn't sure from the from the coverage is the students weren't saying other students were targeting them. They weren't saying they weren't being uh, treated well by their fellow students. OK, they were not being treated well by the institution. And so that's where the real divide happens. However, if the institution then says, okay, we're not going to recognize any student group because of this group and because we have to recognize this group, that's a way for the, stu for the uh, students to become targets of resentment and other aspects of uh, life that we don't want to have happen. Um, you know, what we didn't see was anything as far as resentment is concerned. What we didn't see was anything that had us in a situation where the students uh, were feeling attacked by their fellow students. But when you were being attacked by your institution, that's a whole other ball of wax. Uh, what do you think about that, Corey? Yeah, Laura, you know, I think maybe those things are happening. You know, maybe there are microaggressions going on. Maybe there have been systemic issues that are going on that the student group kind of finally say, you know, enough is enough and really wanted to um, kind of make this, you know, a more publicized issue. Um, I, I would hope that that's not the case, but I would imagine, you know, there might be some ire between student groups of, you know, if I'm on the lacrosse club mm -hmm. and then my club gets shut down, like right. I would love to say wholeheartedly 100% that all the students are going to be in it together. Um, but I can't say that wholeheartedly, uh, you know, and I, I hope that that's not happening. Um, but I, I, I could I could absolutely understand or, or see if it were, um, you know, I think, too, we, we just saw a Supreme Court case uh, last term out of Maine where um, the state of Maine was you know, is going to be made to provide some type of you know support for students to go to religious schools in the state of Maine, you know, from taxpayer dollars. And I would wonder, did Yeshiva, you know, see some of that writing on the wall and say, like, you know what, we're going to double down. And if needed, we're going to triple down. We're going to go nice. from the state Supreme Court. I assume it's in Albany. And, you know, if we need to take it to Washington, we're going to go that far, um, you know, because I think I would imagine their general counsel might see a U.S. Supreme Court who is more friendly and, and more um, to side or more reasonable to side with religious organizations um, and, and roll the dice and see what might happen. Um, yeah, that's kind of on on my mind. I, I hope not that that feels pretty underhanded. That doesn't feel like the right thing to do for what I assume, you know, they would say they're student centered and supportive. Um, but I don't know. It leaves me with a lot more kind of unsettled feelings. Right. I think, right. I think in my stomach, um, which is right. unfortunate. No, and it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's not student centered by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also just, it's out of step with where people are at. 
and uh, it's a really tough call. So uh, Rich is still having some uh, issues, but we're going to log. We're going to go over to the next uh, topic in just a second. Um, you are here with Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the Think Tank episode. Uh, we are here with Corey Davis and hopefully with Rich DiCapua. Uh, we are talking about some of the uh, you, the uh, current issues of the of the week here uh, and. Uh, in higher ed, every month we start the month off with our think tank, and and uh, we have some great guests who come in each each month. Uh, next week uh, we are going to have a uh, it's October break here uh, in uh, New England. It is uh, we have a lot of campuses have uh, the, uh, some several days off, and so I'm taking the day off, and then we will be back the following week. Um, if you haven't caught up with past episodes, please do so. Uh, all of them are running uh, here in the fireside app, but you can also subscribe on uh, Apple, on Spotify, and on iHeartRadio. All right, so we're going to now talk about tuition resets, and that's really something that uh, has become quite interesting. Uh, three institutions, or actually three, two institutions and a state system have in the last month announced that they are going to have a tuition reset. Um, it started with Colby Sawyer College up in New Hampshire, um, and then LaSalle University over here in uh, literally my hometown here in Massachusetts. And then uh, we had uh, the Vermont State System, which is merging up near you, Corey, have all announced different versions of a tuition reset. And so when you look at the tuition reset, we're going to look at LaSalle first. So for instance, LaSalle Previously was forty two six thirty a year. It will be twenty six thousand beginning uh, for students enrolled in the fall of twenty twenty three, um, with room and board from the fall from sixteen five a year uh, to thirteen five, with the new total cost of thirty nine five. Um, this is nearly exactly a third less than the previous cost of fifty nine one thirty. Then you look at what's happening at Colby Sawyer. Colby Sawyer is going to, uh, starting for the next fall, Colby Sawyer is reducing its tuition to $17.5. Um, the new price will be 62% less than the current list price of $46,364. Actual difference for students and families will be less, and the new tuition brings the listed price more in line with what students are already paying. Okay, and so we're going to talk about what students are actually already paying versus what is the list price. Okay, and then when Castleton University, Northern Vermont University, and Vermont Technical College finish consolidating into the new Vermont State University next year, posted tuition prices will fall under a strategy known as a tuition reset. Uh, the new unified university based tuition will be $9,999 per year for undergraduates when the institution launches on July 1st. That's a decrease of about 15% from the average sticker price at the three combined institutions, which is at currently 11808 Sticker prices for out-of-state students will also fall. Out-of-state tuition will start at 19998 which will be down 33% on the, on the average of currently 29,836, about a 30% of the institution's students are expected to come from out of state. So, um, to, uh, Corey, for those of you who are not in the higher ed landscape, when people talk about tuition discounting, explain what tuition discounting is. Yeah, for sure. So we think a good analogy is think about buying a car. We have the sticker price and then there's almost always a lower price that you actually get the vehicle for. So the sticker price for is everything included. That's tuition. Um, that's oftentimes room and board. Sometimes those are separated out. There's always usually an activity fee, a variety, maybe a technology fee, maybe a fee to use the student rec center that all kind of compiles and, and pulls together to give you like the bottom, like full pay. This is what a student would be full cost to go to, let's say Colby, sorry, because I used to work in New Hampshire. What then happens is oftentimes if people just look at that sticker price, prospective families, they make a judgment call and say, oh my God, you know, we can't possibly afford $60,000 a year to go to New London, New Hampshire. Right. And that can really dissuade 
Um, folks who don't know, that's pretty rare to be the actual price that's paid. For folks who are first-generation college students who don't know or have any insight into how financial aid and tuition um, discounting works. Um, so that can be a, a huge barrier even before someone submits an application. Yet for folks who do, or for folks who have that knowledge, they know that you know if I'm a student from Maine and I wanna go to New Hampshire, the institution might take off five grand because they want out-of-state students. They want students from Maine to augment and complement their student body. Mm -hmm. If I am a student athlete or if I have particular attributes that the college might want, that might be more money that's taken off or more scholarship money that's provided to me to encourage me to go to New London, New Hampshire. And New London's a lovely town. Um, and so for folks who don't know that that's how kind of the whole finances game and kind of process works out, that can be really discouraging. Right. Um, and so, you know, Laura, when I saw these couple of articles come through, what first stuck out to me was if we can, if folks, if institutions can just make this happen, and I know there's a lot of fundraising, there's a lot of decision making, but why was this the price three weeks ago? Why, why is suddenly, you know, these, why are these institutions able to drop their prices mm -hmm. 15, 30, 40%? Where, what was that money being done with? It seems suspicious and odd that, you know, this money isn't suddenly needed or it's being complemented and supplemented by other ways. I think this will be great for so many students who want to go to Colby, who want to go to LaSalle, who want to go to VSU. It leads me with a lot of other questions. You know, could there be, are Colby, Sawyer, and LaSalle, were, they, were their faculty and staff really well paid? Right. Did they try to open an initiative or a center or a new department that was, you know, needed a lot more money so prizes kept, kept creeping up? Um, I was really curious about the, the Colby, Sawyer article. It specifically mentioned and referenced the price of tuition at UNH Durham as a comparator in-state. And what really had me thinking of, maybe they're seeing the rising costs of public education in New Hampshire and Mass and saying like, well, maybe we can, we can get a few hundred more students. Yeah. We can yeah. find ourselves in a more competitive space. Right. I think, well, New Hampshire, something folks need to know is New Hampshire is a space that is one of the most underfunded public university systems in the country. Um, it also is at just right there in the, the, the elbow of a decline in traditional age college students. And so, uh, you need to be able to think more creatively about how you're going to be competitive, okay? And where uh, Corey was talking about tuition, uh, tuition discounting, um, one of the things that came to my mind is always the what is the actual cost of doing business? What is the true cost of doing business? And when you're talking about cost of doing business, you're talking about salaries of staff and faculty. You're talking about some of the very unsexy things like heat and hot water and electricity and all of the infrastructure that you need to run an institution. Um, you are talking about uh, what it is that you have to do to make sure that you literally keep the lights on so that you can literally get the students through and you have to be able to do it at an at a excellent level or else if your academic brand, if your academic product is a discounted looking product, you are not going to be able to continue recruiting the students you want. And that idea of the game of tuition discounting, which has been going on and getting worse and worse and worse, because when you talk to students and you ask them, what are you actually paying? In many cases, they are paying close to half or 60% of what the tuition list price is. And so, that's when you literally sit here and you go, okay, now we have an issue. Now we're going to be looking at these institutions and we're going to say, okay, what is actually the true cost? And when students and their families are trying to figure out where are they going to school, that true cost then becomes something that they have to get a little bit more um, uh, counseling on. They're going to need to talk to people who actually know what they're talking about. Okay, I can see high school guidance counselors and other folks being like, okay, here's, here's what the true cost is. 
versus here's what the tuition discount is versus these campuses now have a tuition reset. This is what this all means. I think one of the things that's a little different about what we're seeing in Vermont, Vermont, talk about a school, a state where there's no humans to enroll in terms of the in-state system. They had to do something to make themselves more competitive. Here in New England, we have had a situation where um, University of Maine has been going hard on bringing in students from Massachusetts, bringing in students from Connecticut, bringing in students even from Rhode Island to say, we will let you come here at the same ticket price or a sticker price as you would at your institution back home. And they've been making that kind of pitch. Vermont now is creating their own pitch. They are saying, we have these three institutions that are now going to be part of one, uh, one system, and we want you to come here, and we want you to get a different type of experience. What is actually quite interesting to me about that is those institutions bring forth something that the University of Maine, that UNH, that UMass, and, and even URI don't have, UConn especially, it's a small college field. And up in Vermont, you could actually say, hey, if you want a small college feel, we will, we will bring you in. We will have you come here for that small college experience. You don't have to go to a big school. You don't have to go to a big giant land grant institution. You don't have to go to the, to the big the flagship. Come here. Don't be a number. And we will make sure that you have a, a more um, small institution experience. And I think it's an interesting, and I actually will say it's a, I think it's a very good call on their part, okay, because it allows for folks to actually have a choice rather than have to go to a flagship. Yeah, Laura, you know, I'm seeing it. So here, here in Vermont, similar to Massachusetts, we have the, we have the University of Vermont and then we have the state university system. So very similar. There's the UMass system and then there's the state university system in, in Massachusetts. And so many, you know, so many students, you know, think that UVM, whether they're from uh, from Vermont or from away, um, is such a big place, you know, yeah. in, in, in appearances if they've never been to campus. And for some students and faculty and staff, that's the exact what they're looking for. Right. Some folks, Burlington is the biggest city they've ever been to. Um, and it's 45,000 people, just, just to give our, our listeners kind of a sense of, of place and setting. Um, and it's an adorable the, town. It is an adorable town. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but what we what we see and what we see here in Chittenden County is UVM had its largest and most selective class in ever, I think. Definitely its largest and maybe yeah. its most selective. Yeah. And I'm you know, I'm talking to folks up there who anticipate that to be the case next year and the next couple of years. And it's not as though students can go to UVM as the flagship. So I think, you know, other public options here in Vermont, like our Castleton, our Northern Vermont, our Vermont Tech. Yeah. For me, you know, as, as I, and I'm a citizen, paying taxes, voting, all that jazz. Um, I'm really trying to figure out you know, the, these new homeowner, yeah. <laughs> these new homeowner, exactly. These campuses are in very different parts of the state. Castleton and Rutland, Vermont Tech, I'm pretty sure is in Winooski. And then NVU is over in the Lyndon Johnson area. These are not hubs of activity. They're not geographically close together. No. So organizationally for that system, I'm trying to figure out, all right, how does that, how does that work? Do they have one president? Do they have one dean of students? Do they, are you going to be offering students to live on each of these three campuses? Yeah. And by the way, each of these campuses all have so many of their own faculty and staff. Is there going to be this great, unfortunate culling of faculty and staff? Mm. Um, I don't know what that means. I think it'll be interesting. And, and as I was talking about next semester, we're going to do something a little different with the show. We're going to have each month have three shows that are actually around one theme. And one of the themes that we're looking at is uh, mergers, acquisitions and change. And I'd love to get some folks from the Vermont system on there, because I think one of the things that's actually interesting for them is that they can learn from some of the things that are happening in other states, like Pennsylvania, for instance, where the whole Sheehy system had to kind of take a step back and say, what are we going to do in terms of being able to remain viable? And our campus is going to have to close. Are we going to have to find our way through? And they can actually 
in some ways create a new state system that anticipates and learns from some of the other things that other uh, states are dealing with right now. You know, um, one of the things they must be knowing, one of the things they must be dealing with is uh, what we see in, in some states, like uh, we have one of our think tank members, Sheila, uh, who's down at, uh, the, at uh, Winthrop University down in South Carolina. One of the things they find because of the decline in enrollment um, in terms of traditional age college students is the University of South Carolina, the flagship down there, goes and they squeeze down to the next level, which is the state institutions, and they are pulling students out of there, giving them some discounts, giving them some, some scholarship money, giving them what they need. So then they end up at the flagship that maybe five, six years ago they wouldn't have gotten into, right? But now they're going down a level to try to pull students out to get them to enroll at the flagship, okay? And then you have a situation where you, uh, in Vermont, where, you know, one of the things they actually have to their disposal is they know they have a finite number of students. They are well aware of what their students look like, how many students are coming up the pike in terms of uh, enrollment. And they can be a bit more strategic in terms of what is this organization going to look like? I would be interested in knowing why they pick that dollar value. Is it because of UVM's price? Is it because of other uh, state institution prices? What actually was there? And to your point, Corey, being that these institutions are in like, you know, three corners of the of the state, they're nowhere near each other. That's one of the you can't just you can't get there from here. You got to you know, you got to go back and all that. You can't necessarily share resources, um, especially human resources. Technology. Sure. You can set up redundancies that are actually able to support the three institutions around tech and the backbone of technology and a student information system and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. But but the the instruction especially um, is not something you're going to necessarily be able to share between the institutions um, in terms of physical presence on the campus. We don't know if they're going to offer things like um, like uh, online courses. Um, or hybrid courses. Um, I wonder if people's, uh, shall we say, expectations around what those types of classes can actually add to their experience um, may be changing as far as where we're at in terms of life uh, on our campuses. Um, I've always said I would love to see, like especially like HBCUs, where there is such a deeply rich kind of history and tradition at these institutions. And there's some fantastic, like unbelievably fantastic faculty who are at different institutions. I always thought it would be a super cool thing if they had a winter session or a summer session or some kind of thing where you can learn from one of the, 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 the pinnacle faculty at an institution, regardless of which one you belong to. You know, so regardless of which institution you're enrolled at. So if there's a faculty member who's at Spelman and I'm at and I'm at a school in Texas, I could I may be able to take a class with that person in some kind of um, kind of connection. And and those are things that I think we can do now, but I don't see a lot of institutions doing that. I, I you know, I look at state systems all the time and I'm like, why are we just using this to pay for paper and pay for, you know, uh, computers and beds and things like that? This is more than buying power. We need to have brain power that is shared amongst the institutions. Um, and we're just not thinking about that. But I'm hopeful that with some of this, this what we're seeing up in Vermont, we actually can see that come, come to fruition. Yeah. And, and Laura, you make me think of, you know, I most recently come from the from the UMaine system. Yes. Um, and I would wonder the folks at VSU are watching and trying to amplify the good things, shared services, some shared costs, and avoid some of the, the pitfalls. And the one pitfall that I know um, the University of Maine system ran into is having seven campuses 
in the state of Maine is written into the state constitution. So there could not be a reduction or, or a, a combination of the University of Maine, the flagship campus, taking over Machias or right. Fort Kent or, or Presque Isle. Um, you know, so I would wonder maybe VSU is able and be, to be more nimble in those areas um, or, or to combine. I see commercials. Um, I listen to NPR on my drive to work and I see commercials on TV talking about, um, you know, Vermont Tech and learn with all of their hands on and experiential learning. Get the more traditional campus feel with athletics at Castleton, and then NVU for again more experiential education and a lot more kind of rural yes. um, college education. So they're really trying to amplify the best of all three. Yeah. And quite frankly, I would wonder if they're going to try to um, pitch like a, a unified accreditation, like like the University of Maine system. That, you know, that where, may very well be happening. We could talk yeah. to Larry over at Nechi about that, but I think that's actually a really good point is that if they were able to make that happen, that would be an amazing right. opportunity for them, right? Um, I, I also wonder with some of this um, tuition discounting or this tuition resetting that we're seeing right now, how much of this, and, and I, I will be the very first one to say it, is that um, I have no, you know, there there's some... Shall I, how do I say this in a, in a nice way, but it may not come out that nice. There are some college presidents who are looking at this saying, we need to stay ahead of the game before somebody calls us out on our shenanigans. So let's, let's do this. And I feel like in some respects, that's what we're seeing at LaSalle. LaSalle College, unlike what we saw at, say, uh, what we saw at, uh, Daniel, at, at uh, Daniel Webster and all that, is that we're looking at... Uh, a, a more fishy discounted situation rather than a specific amount that says it's never going to cap out any higher than this and that sort of thing. And you have to really kind of uh, do your math and say, am I, am I actually saving anything? And for students who are actually now going to look at the bottom line on their account, I think that there's going to be some people saying, but hold on a second. I am right now getting this discounted rate and I'm actually coming in under that. And what I'm not seeing in these announcements is for students who are currently under the total amount. And I don't necessarily, I, I, I think that LaSalle's the one that I'm the most fishy of because there students, I bet you are finding a 40, 45% discount rate. And that amount that they've announced is not in that ballpark. Um, so I think that there's going to be a word to the wise, check what your amount is, see what is actually being done for you and how much is this going to help you in the long run? Um, and what does this actually mean for you? Um, the other part of this is that we are right now in the middle of this, um, and I think I said Daniel Webster, and I meant Colby, sorry, I apologize. The, the two named schools always throw my brain off. Okay, but um, when we are looking at the news right now, when it comes to the cost of higher ed, one of the things that we know in terms of how people feel about higher ed, we, we've, we have a certain amount of understanding of going to college, getting a degree has a return on investment. We are still suffering in some parts of the, of the community in terms of what people actually trust the value to be. Um, and not just the, the value of the dollar, which I'll get to, but that value of what are they actually learning? Is this actually something, do I want to send my child or do I myself want to go somewhere? And there's that trust and that kind of idea of like, is it academia that is in this very heightened uh, liberal elite type of thing? Okay, so there's some politics there. But ultimately right now, the biggest issue is how people feel about the return on investment and how much they're actually spending. And I wonder if this tuition reset is a way for smaller campuses to say, okay, this is what we're actually, this is what we're actually bringing in. This is our cost of doing business. This is how we are setting our budgets. We know this. So rather than go through this whole machination of 
this is the list price. And now, Corey Davis, you get a presidential scholarship and we're going to give you X amount of money. Woohoo! And now Corey feels really good, shows his grandparents the email. Hey, look at this. I got a scholarship. Wah. But rather than do that, it is about this idea of like, no, this is what we're actually bringing in for every kid. And we just need to just own up to the reality is that this is what we've actually mostly been bringing in on each student. Yeah. Laura, you make me think of, I wonder, I'm sure there's some, some psychology out there and I don't know if any of these institutions have considered that. I'm sure, you know, hearing, you know, VSU being $9,999. Yeah. Boy, that sure sounds better than 10 grand. That sounds awesome. Great. Great. Sign me up. You know, I'm a Vermont resident. Great. Um, You know, I would wonder too, is there also some, some studies or research out there saying sticker price is this, but Corey, we're going to give you 15 grand off. Wow. And maybe that encourages me to enroll more as opposed to, you know, the price is what it is. Yeah. We know know the push and pull. No. When you say to a student, there's all these things about yield. Okay. Mm -hmm. All these ways to yield that student. Okay. And yield is means you have accepted the student, but now they have to accept you. So that's yielding them. Okay. And we know that when you say to a student, here is a presidential scholarship and that takes this amount off and they go, Ooh, they like me. Okay. Then you bring them to campus for orientation and you make sure I've been told this by consultants who say, do not let them leave campus without an ID with their face on it and their name. Mm -hmm. And now it's your, your, you know, your Castleton ID Okay, so make sure you have your ID card, make sure they have an email address, and make sure you give them something to put on their car. Okay, your window sticker, your your bumper sticker, whatever it is. Make sure you leave there with swag. And by doing those three things, oh, I'm sorry, and the, the, the other thing is make sure they leave orientation with a class schedule. Do not let them leave without a class schedule. So if you have the ID card, you have the swag, you have the class schedule, you have those items that make you feel that sense of attachment, that's another reason to yield. We are going to have to start seeing institutions that just go out there and say, well, we can't do the, can't do the bait and switch with the tuition discount. We can't say to people, oh, here you go. Here is your, your scholarship. This is our value. And so there's going to have to be a change in the messaging to say, here's our value. The schools that don't do that, the schools that don't get the tuition reset, if I'm in in the same group of campuses that are competing against a LaSalle or against, you know, a Colby Sawyer, and I have cross cross applicants, I'm going to have to really start to think about how am I going to sell my institution because parents are consumers and the parents are going to start to ask this question, hold up. I just did a campus tour and, and we are now eyeball deep in the campus tour, October time zone. Okay. Especially in the Northeast, this is the time where the, the leaves are changing and the campuses look beautiful and we're all in our cozy sweaters and our tour guides are out there and talking it up. And the parents and the students are going to start asking the question, hold up, that institution that is in your your athletic conference that um, I've cross uh, applied against, I am in where they just did a tuition reset and they were about the same amount as you. What about you all? There is going to be more of that. And I think it's going to be a real disruption in how we market our institutions and how people um, actually decide where to enroll. And and Laura, I'll add one more curveball as you know, we're getting to our time here this afternoon. If I, if I'm an employee at at a Colby Sawyer or LaSalle, or maybe even a VSU, Mm -hmm. am I looking at the news and looking at all this great, you know, information for students and hopefully more transparency and more, you know, um, openness about the actual the actual price. Am I looking at that and saying, you know, am I not? Should I not expect to get a raise for the next number of years? Should I look for somewhere else? Should I look? You know, am, am, am I? Is my job going to be 
secure? Is, you know, are people looking to be more lean and more streamlined with their services, with their faculty and with their staff? And I'm not saying that doing all of that is a bad thing, but I would wonder, are people you know, in Newton who work at LaSalle, are they saying like, all right, we're gonna reset tuition with the expectation that other, you know, more monies were going to be coming in, maybe they were accustomed to 2% cost of living increases year over year. Mm. Does that mean they should look for something else or that might change their calculation? You know, I think that if I was, if I was a senior leader at a campus like that, I would be very straightforward with my staff to say, okay, here's what, as you may or may not know, this was our tuition, this was our tuition discount rate up until this point. This was what we were actually bringing in head by head. Okay, and so what they may find out is that ultimately we are actually bringing in as much, if not potentially more money with the tuition reset. Okay, where you're actually bringing in like, look, if our tuition discount rate put us at this amount and we were actually bringing in like 20, let's call it just because I'm bad at math. Okay, it's a fifty thousand dollar tuition right now posted, it's a 50% discount rate. That means you're bringing in $25,000 on tuition for each kid, okay? Let's just say, okay? So if your tuition discount is 50% and now you have put forth institution, you're saying, okay, we're gonna limit institutional aid, we're gonna limit this, we're gonna limit this, and that means our actual amount that our tuition reset is now at, instead of 25, let's say it's 23, okay? And you say, but that's what the, everyone's bringing in 23. We've also calculated that the cost of doing business by student in terms of their tuition is 20,000 a year. Okay, then this is what we're actually making. Okay, so it actually is a way for the administration to more clearly speak to their employees about this is what our tuition discounted rate was this is what our this is why our goals were this way. This is how many students we have to land every year to actually make our budget. And now with the new tuition dis, the tuition reset, there's a few opportunities here. Number one, we're not we're not doing one tuition rate for one student, one tuition rate for another. That's actually from an equity standpoint, you can actually send a very specific message, okay? So you can actually use that messaging around equity to be a bit more consistent. Second thing that you would say to the campus is say, here's actually what it costs per kid. This is what our, our cost of doing business is. This is why this is better for us. We see this as more sustainable. And this is what we're doing to try to bring in students who may have been outside of our usual reach zone um, to be able to come to our community. I think those two campus situations, whether it be the privates, which are your your uh, you know your your institutions uh, in New, in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, where those are private institutions, okay, that's a different problem that those institutions have between Colby Sawyer and LaSalle. Those have a different challenge than say the Vermont system, but I think they learn from each other. The other common denominator between all of these campuses is they're small campuses. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things we are going to see moving forward is that small campuses, in order to survive, are going to have to change something in their model and disrupt their business mm -hmm. so that they can continue to be sustainable. Um, and that may include not only these changes in terms of the tuition um, resets, but we may also be looking at some changes in terms of some of the co-curricular expectations and that sort of thing. And my last point here is going to your comment about what's happening in Vermont. Those three institutions have three very specific ways of kind of delivering their educational um, uh, mission. And the types of students and the type of majors and the type of work that comes out of there is going to be different and kind of embracing the aspects of your institutional drive and your institutional mission and your institutional objectives 
we have to start to really get our arms wrapped around this idea of we don't need to be like everybody else. We have a very specific thing we're doing here that makes us a bit different than other institutions. Have, you know, have some fun here. Try us here. So that's my that's my kind of parting shot here. I hope that this is actually something that starts a, a very different ball rolling. But I think what will be difficult is campuses do not want to admit that they let the tuition discounting model get out of control. And this will be that reckoning of, yes, we, we let it get out of control. Yeah. And Laura, I think, you know, I, I, I hope and I, and I think that this will be good for students. I think just to your point is well found. And so long as they're making sure that they're getting still the best deal possible and, you know, a lot of difficult conversations, more open conversations, I hope, and transparent ones with the folks who work on those campuses um, and providing a better environment. I'd be really curious over the next three years to see how it all shakes out. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're sorry that uh, Rich was not able to get back in. I need to let the folks at Fireside know that we had big technical issues with Rich getting bumped out and now can't get back into the app. So I need to let them know that. But I want to thank you for being here, Corey. Next week, we are taking a quick quick week off because it is fall break here in uh, in the New England area. So I'm going to go out there and look at some I'm going to some leaf peeping. I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to look at some some leaves and I'm going to put my flannels on. Um, and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we hope to see you here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. And remember, we want you to get out there and learn something. So connect with me. And all my information right now is scrolling across the screen. You can always find me on various social media platforms. So please connect with me and have a great day, everybody.